Well, we're in this series on where is my honor, says the Eternal, and I want to continue it because I think this is probably as important an issue as we can discuss. Is us giving honor to the Creator of heaven and earth. We went into the book of Job last time, having been in Genesis 1 and 2 before, and we saw that that really was the object lesson of everything God allowed to happen to Job, is to get his mind back on God as the Creator, the All-Powerful, the one who generated, who began everything. And we can begin to think we're important or amount to something, but really we don't. And I made comments there about how Job came to the point, he said, I am vile. Uh, he held no value in himself. He realized all value was in God, because Job even commented at one point that he knew he would go to his grave and he would await there until the resurrection. And there was a cognizance of the fact that we are human, that life is in that sense vain, and the word vanity or vain, really, one of the Bible definitions is temporary. There is nothing that we can do that can sustain us beyond a certain point. And God has made the life cycle to remind us of that. We're pretty helpless when we're born. We can do nothing for ourselves, and without care from someone, we would die very quickly. But given care, we grow up to human uh, potential and growth, but then we begin to decline. And as we peak in life and begin that downhill slide, uh, we begin to fall apart. Eyes, ears, all five senses begin to be diminished in time, and our minds even begin to go as our muscles deteriorate, our bones begin to hollow out, uh, we just begin to fall apart. And part of the reason for that, and perhaps the main reason, is to show us that this life is truly temporary, that it cannot be sustained, and it cannot even be sustained at a high level beyond a few years until it begins to fall apart. And God gave Job a very powerful lesson in that and began to realize that, hey, I am nothing, God is everything. Man at his best state is altogether vanity. We are temporary all the way through. You can't take it with you no matter what you amass. Uh, it goes away when you die. Whatever you were, you are reduced to a pile of dust in time. It doesn't matter what they bury with you. Uh, you don't enjoy it. It's just there until somebody comes and robs your grave, which has happened to a lot of people. Now, I did not mean to discourage, I hope that I did not, by saying we need to come to understand, and it is a baptismal question as well, that we as a human being are worthless. We have no value 
Now, we might have value to each other and to ones we love for a short period of time while we're here on the earth, but it can't continue. It isn't of any lasting value. And when we think that we can do something, the creator of heaven and earth can very easily terminate our lives. What if he suddenly decided to just take the air? You're one breath away from death. You're one tick of the heart away from death. You're one collision in an automobile from death. There are so many, many ways you can die so easily. So we might think we're intelligent. We might have intellectual vanity or strong. Uh, is a, it talks about the young man valuing his strength in the book of Ecclesiastes, his muscle power. But what good is that? If you don't eat, the muscle power doesn't continue. We get proud of our looks. Where'd you get those? They just happened, didn't they? You were born a certain way based on your genetic background and DNA. You had nothing to do with it. Now, you may spend a lot of time trying to enhance it or cover it up or hide it or try to make it better, but all in all, at the end of the day, you are what you are. You can't change it. You can't add a foot to your stature or an inch or anything else. Well, you can put on heels, but that'll make you feel like you're piled a little higher and deeper, I guess, with your, your Ph.D. degree. But we're really nothing. And it is on that basis that God wants to recognize that we, without the brain he gave us, without the air we breathe and the food we eat, would quickly die. So there is no lasting value, is the point. And we need to look to the one who created, who can give us lasting value. We of ourselves are selfish to the core, and we need some power, some strength, some way to become different from that. So it is a part of repentance to strip away the vanity, the ego, the self-centeredness, and look to God as the originator of all things that are good, and look to him for strength and help to do something that is of lasting value. Where do men put their desires? In amassing a physical bank account that will go away through many different ways, and certainly when they die. But God tells us instead to build our treasure in heaven, a treasure that will not go away, that is eternal and everlasting. So that needs to be our focus. Does that mean we don't work and we just go around making spiritual coins? No, it's the way we live this life. It's the way we treat each other and the world. It's the way we go about our thinking, doing, and acting that puts treasure in the spiritual bank account. It's even how we handle the physical money here on the earth, what kind of stewards we are of it, how much value we place in it, and whether or not we're willing to give and serve and share with others. So money on this earth is an important issue because it is what allows us to buy and sell and do. But it has limited value, and God even regulates 
how we are to use that, what we are to do with it. Uh, we do not have a standard to make on our own. We look to his standard and what he put in here and how we use everything that's on this earth. So we don't even in that sense have self-direction, do we? You might think, well, I'm me and I'll do what I want and I'm a free man and I'm at liberty to do as I please. No, you're not. Now mankind has been given that opportunity on this earth, but you have done something that most mankind has not done. Any who are interested in hearing what is being spoken today and the references to the Word of God have an opportunity. And we have committed ourselves to doing things not our way, but God's way. That's what we repented and were baptized for, making a commitment to do it God's way. We're in a world that does not want to make commitment. They don't want to make a commitment to employers, to mates, to anything, really. They want to be free to do as they please and please themselves. We have committed ourselves to please our Creator in heaven. And He has given us the standards that He will be pleased with. So it's our job then to live up to those standards. And we all find it very difficult, don't we? Because if we're as good as we would like to think we are, you would think we would be able to swallow our human nature and walk in the Spirit at all times. But we find a constant daily battle to control our thoughts and actions and to do things God's way instead of our way, don't we? That's just the way we're made. That's the way we are. That's the humanness of us. I want to go then today, not with discouragement, but recognizing that in seeing our own emptiness and vanity and temporariness, that there is something ahead we can look forward to which is eternal and everlasting and which is better than what we are today and where we need to look to be able to partake of what is ahead for those who will serve the Creator God of heaven and earth. So there is encouragement, there's discouragement looking at ourselves, and that's why we do not spend much time looking at ourselves, I hope. We need to spend our time looking at God instead of ourselves. If you think about yourself a lot, how can you be anything but discouraged if you're looking honestly? Okay? But if you look at God and what He has done and what He can do, then there is encouragement there. So if you're discouraged and frustrated, you're probably looking at yourself more than you ought to be. And the way to get out of depression and discouragement is to look above to something that is greater than we are. Think about it. When you're at your most depressed, frustrated, and discouraged, who are you thinking about? Self. Self is discouraged. Self is frustrated. Self is down. Oh, poor me. Poor pitiful me. We're thinking of ourselves, and we may recognize our lacks, 
and we recognize that others don't think as highly of us as we think they ought to. That can be frustrating to us. We all want to be liked by ourselves, and we want to be liked by others. What are we doing to be liked by God? That's the bottom line. Let's go to Psalms. I want to touch on several of these today, because there is so much in here uh, that can be encouraging and strengthening. You know, David went through a lot of problems in his life, and he had a lot of enemies. And there were times that David was discouraged and frustrated, and that shows up in some of the Psalms. And he got out of his discouragement and frustration by doing what? He would say, oh, woe is me, my enemies are against me. And then he would get his mind off himself and turn to God, who had the answers. That's how he came out of his discouragement. And that's why the Psalms are so inspiring and strengthening is because they show the answer to the problem when we find ourselves with a problem. But I want to focus today on God as the Creator and honoring Him there, so enough of that particular line of thought for the moment. Let's go to Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Eternal, O you righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise of God is a wonderful attribute. When we're praising God and looking to Him, a lot of our troubles fly away. Praise the Eternal with harp. Sing to Him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. So one way out of frustration and discouragement is to sing psalms to God, to play instruments to Him, uh, we sing the psalms. They've been set to music. Uh, we sing them at Sabbath services. I like to sing them at New Moon. I like to sing when we get an opportunity the hymns and praise of God because that lifts us. You start listening to the world, the music that the world puts out too much, and a lot of it is about frustration and self, and it can turn your thoughts in directions they don't need to go. But songs to God lift your thoughts. It isn't necessarily a matter of doing away entirely with one because there are some things that I suppose should, can be listened to. But if you want any real benefit, the Psalms are where the benefit comes. That's where the inspiration and strength comes. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. We sing this one. For the word of the eternal is right. And all his works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the eternal. So he begins to say here, sing to God, glorify him, look to the good things he's done in the earth. Look at the beautiful things he's created. He loves righteousness and judgment. Let's see. Verse 6, by the word of the eternal were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And I look at myself personally, and what inspires me the most? The things God made on this earth, to be able to look at them, to enjoy them. The, the inspiration of the mountains and the trees, the sea coasts, the waters, the waves, the the animals, the birds, the fish that he has made, those things are an encouragement 
because God made a world that is beautiful around us. Now, I don't like these cedar gnats we've gotten lately. They bite my legs and my arms, and they itch for days. But you know why they're here? Because we did not look to the God of heaven and earth and disobeyed him in the garden and ever since, and he created those things or allowed them to be for the purpose of tormenting us, even in the beauty that we have around us, to want to cause us to look to him who can take those things away. So in the midst of all the beauty that we see around us, we have thorns and thistles and things that bite and poison and hurt us because of disobedience. He made the heavens and the earth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the depth in storehouses. So there are things stored in the earth and beneath the seas that God has placed there. Let all the earth fear the eternal. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. These are the words really he used with Job. They're repeated here by David because that's where we look is back to what God has created to see him, as we'll see in Romans 1 eventually. See, the world's got it backward. They are pro promoting a Mother Gaia or love the earth. The earth is our mother. It's the bosom from which we evolved and so on. And they want to worship the create creation instead of the creator. And I think that that is going to be the basis of the new world religion that will come with this new world order that we see forming around us. Because they need something to look to that all people can enjoy or appreciate or, in that sense, worship. So already, for now many decades and even centuries, but particularly the last few decades, they have been causing us to look more and more to this earth as our mother and to worship the creation. It's the Sierra Club I just got a nauseating letter from. Uh, I didn't ask for it. They sent it. And they want us to worship the earth. Now, Satan is the present god of this world, of this earth. And they want him to be worshipped, and they will use the earth to point to him, whereas we should be using the earth to point to the true creator. So it is a deceiving thing that is going on. But they can pull in all religions with that, can't they? They can pull in all gods of man with that, because everybody has a certain respect for and a liking of the earth that we walk upon. Satan is using it to take people away from God. We are to use it to draw us near to God. And we will see as we go through this that over and over and over God tells us to look back to him as the creator. Even in this particular psalm it talks about rejoicing and singing to God and then it points to him, first of all, 
as the Creator, the one who made it. Uh, verse 8, let all the earth fear the eternal, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Not of the earth, stand in awe of the one who was able to make it. What can you command and see happen? Not very much. God could speak and it would happen. That is incredible. That's the one you want to worship. Not the earth that he made, but the one who could actually make it happen. Wow. You know, you look at a house. You say, that's a nice house. Did it build itself? No, I think you have to look to the carpenter who made it and say, wow. We look at the house and focus on it more than we do on the ones who were able to create that house out of things God made. So why worship the earth, the house we live in? Why not worship the one who was able to make that house? That's what he's saying. Verse 10, the eternal brings the counsel of the heathen to nothing. He makes the devices of the people of none effect. It doesn't matter what we do down here on this earth he made. He can cancel it all out and will very shortly. The counsel of the eternal stands forever, the thoughts of his heart, to all generations. We're temporary. We're vain. We've had many generations, and they're all dead back there, and we're going to die too very soon, unless we serve God. Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the eternal and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. So he says, glorify him, look to what he's made, and then he will look to you as his people. So honoring God through his creation is the key to having God look to us and set us aside and choose us for eternal inheritance of the earth. Not a temporary life, but an eternal one. There's an awful lot right here in these few verses. Let's go to chapter 74. There is so much in the Psalms, but I picked out a few that refer to God specifically as Creator. 74, beginning in verse 1. Now this is about the church today, and speaks of it through the first part of this chapter, so I want to go through here because this is germane to us. This is important for us to understand. Uh, it reviews a lot of what we have understood, in, at least in this group. Oh God, why have you cast us off forever? It seems like forever that we have been being scattered and pushed upon and God not hearing our prayers and answering them the way that we would wish to have the blessings, the healings, the things that we would like to have from God. Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Pasture. Well, he is our pastor. Christ is. We are his sheep. And yet, it seems that the shepherd is angry with the sheep. Well, just why? Good question. The rest of the church needs to ask this question. And it doesn't hurt us to go over it. Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old. The rod of your inheritance 
which you have redeemed, this Mount Zion wherein you have dwelt. Now we know from Hebrews 12 that the church is Zion. We know that there's a physical place on earth called Zion that is the original Zion that God created. So he's talking to those people that have to do with Zion, the spiritual Jews, the church today. Lift up your feet to the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy has done wickedly in the sanctuary. Your enemies roar in the midst of your congregations. They set up their ensigns or their standards or their banners for signs. We had those who came into the church who began to destroy what God had built. It says, A man was famous according as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees. In other words, there were men in the church, in the congregation, who went to the forest, who brought trees and began to build. Who were those that were looked up to in the church? Those who were going around the world building congregations, building a temple, a house for God in a spiritual way, in, the, in terms of congregations and so on. So that was the ones we looked up to. We looked up to Herbert Armstrong, who was the chief builder of the end time beginning of the church. But now they break down your, the carved work. They're of it uh, at once with axes and hammers. So they just started beating the church apart with false doctrine, with bad administration, and so on and so forth. They've cast fire into your sanctuary burning up that which has been built. They have defiled your casting down the dwelling place of your name to the ground. So, defiling. And we started this series in Malachi 1, where it says that the sick, the weak, the lame uh, were brought before God. So, bad doctrine, unclean things, began to destroy that which had been built. There it uses the analogy of bad sacrifice. Here it uses the analogy of building and destroying that which has been built. Still speaking of the same thing. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. There was a conspiracy in the church to destroy it, to tear down that which had been built. They burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. What happened to all the churches in almost every city of any size, and some of very small size in this nation and even around the world. Most of them are now gone. A few left, barely hanging on. We see not our signs. We thought we saw clearly a long time ago what was coming, how it was going to occur. We didn't have full understanding, but we had a certain understanding of what was to come, didn't we? And now people are confused and wondering and they try to figure out for themselves what's going on and what they ought to do, and they're doing the wrong thing. They're trying to preach the gospel to the world at a time when God says, no, be repenting, not preaching the gospel to the world. Once you get yourself straightened out, then you might go and preach to the world. So there is a sabbatical in that sense of preaching the word of God to the world at the moment. There are those who are attempting it and really getting nowhere with it. They don't see their signs. They don't see anything really happening. There is no more any prophet. They don't even like to talk about prophecy anymore because they don't have a clue what's coming next. 
This has been a befuddling, frustrating time. Neither is there among us any that knows how long. We wonder, don't we, how long, O Lord, as Habakkuk put it. But he says, we just don't know how long. You don't, I don't, nobody does. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme your name forever? The society, the culture of this world and that around us even in this country is blasphemous. It is ungodly. It is a society that does not recognize God or his commandments or his ways. And it is an enemy to us. How long will we have to fight that which is around us? When will we be given power? God says he'll make us a new threshing instrument in Micah and Isaiah where we can destroy the enemies around us. Hasn't happened yet. How long? Verse 11, Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand? Pluck it out of your bosom. In other words, God is hiding his hand, which is a symbol of being able to bless, from us. He's tucked it away, is the analogy David is using. For uh, Bring it out of your bosom. For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. So, in spite of everything that he saw in his kingdom coming apart, that he wrote about, and it is written for us today about the church instead of the kingdom of Israel, uh, he begins to say, I look to God who established everything. He is the one that can save us from this. He looks back to the Creator in heaven. Let's go on and see that. Verse 13, you did divide the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the dragons in the waters. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. What happened to all those monstrous sea creatures and, and land that, mammals that we see fossils of, some of which are still frozen in the Arctic and Antarctic? And when they do thaw out, the meat is still edible. <coughs> Huge animals, animals that don't exist anymore. God was able to break them in pieces. He was able to kill them off. He could just turn the earth a little bit and an ice age starts. He can turn it a little bit the other way maybe and you can have a heat wave. The earth is going to become seven times hotter pretty quick. So there is global warming. It's going to occur. I don't think we're seeing it yet. Uh, but it's going to occur in the end time at some point. <coughs> but that's part of the uh, deception they're using. Oh, we're destroying Mother Earth. Look to Mother Earth. Fix Mother Earth. Now, yes, we are polluting the planet. But they're not turning people to God in heaven who will fix the heavens and the earth, are they? They're turning it to the earth itself. <clears throat> Verse 15, you did cleave the fountain and the flood. You dried up mighty rivers. And then he goes right back to Genesis 1 and 2. The day is yours. The night is yours. You have prepared the light and the sun. You have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, that the enemy has reproached, O eternal 
and that the foolish people have blasphemed your name. So, when he sees the troubles around him, he begins to talk to God about how God created everything, how he is the maker, the one who started it all. And then he feels encouraged. Now let's go to chapter 96. And I'll begin here in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Eternal a new song. Sing to the Eternal all the earth. It's interesting that he does say, in many cases, sing a new song. Uh, God is going to do things that are new, he says in Isaiah. But we tend not to be renewed, to lift up our heart in new song. David was reviving something here in his writings that had fallen apart, away. People had quit singing to God. They began to look to themselves and to the culture around them. They began to worship the heathen gods. So they forgot the true songs of God. So he says, sing a new song. Sing, have a new attitude. Have a new approach. Let that be a new song in your heart to sing before God. Sing unto the Eternal, bless His name, show forth His salvation from day to day. There's where our thoughts, our hearts, our minds need to turn as songs to God. Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. You know, if you're to do those things, to be an example and a light to the world and to all people around, you have to have your mind on them, don't you? Your thoughts have to be there for that to happen. For the eternal is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the eternal made the heavens. Don't worry about it. We've got something more important here. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So we begin to look to God. He made the heavens. The gods of this world didn't do anything, did they? Even the greatest god of this world, Satan, didn't create the heavens and the earth. But the world worships him. They don't even know it. Give to the eternal, O you kindreds of the people, give to the eternal glory and strength. Give unto the eternal the glory due to his name. Where is my honor? He asks. David is saying it. Give to the eternal the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. In other words, look to him. I mentioned the offerings at the beginning in the announcements that we bring before God, free will before him on the holy days. So he tells us, glorify his name, look to him, and come before him with offerings because he is the great God. You know, the scripture even says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So God has said through David here, worship the eternal, get your attitude right, 
and bring an offering to God because that shows Him and underlines to you where your heart really is. It is a physical demonstration of your heart. That's why God asks us to do that. Oh, worship the eternal in the beauty of holiness. That's how he wants his honor to be shown, that we be a holy people, set aside from this world, different in the way that we think and act. In the beauty of holiness. Now that ties again with Malachi 1, doesn't it? It says, don't bring that which is torn and diseased and sick and lame before God. He doesn't want to be worshipped that way. He wants us to approach him in the beauty that holiness brings. Fear before him, all the earth. Say among the heathen that the eternal reigns. I hope we are called upon to do that someday. But we have to get the beauty of holiness in our lives, our minds, our attitudes, our hearts, and then we may be a tool that God can use to go before the heathen. But he is not blessing the church at going to the heathen with a message today because we are not worthy of carrying the message. That's why. That's why people aren't coming. They aren't being baptized. Even those who try to put out broadcasts and booklets and so on are having very, very little impact because God simply is not with it. He spewed us out for lack of holiness. The beauty was not there. He saw the ugliness of sin and lackadaisical, ho-hum approach to God in our lives. Drifting along, keeping the Sabbath, going to the feast, but not really worshiping God with heat and fervency. And until that occurs, he is not going to allow anyone to effectively preach to the world. No one. But he will bless and cause it to happen and give the power and the strength and the opportunity. It will not happen. Nobody can do it. None of the churches of God are doing it today in any effective way whatsoever. And I'm not throwing rocks at them. We aren't either, are we? In fact, we're doing, in that sense, even less than they are. I guess you could say at least they're trying. But if you're trying to do something that God is not with, it's utterly futile, isn't it? All their works are vanity. They don't mean anything. They won't accomplish anything. It's futility. So instead, we need to be coming or start coming to the place that we're worshiping the eternal and the beauty of holiness, recognizing him as the great creator who made it all and looking to him with fervency in our lives. Didn't he say in Jeremiah, and I've repeated it many times, that he will turn to us when we turn to him with our whole heart. 
We can read this and say, oh, when? How long, O Lord? And yet he's told us how long in Jeremiah. So we turn with our whole heart. You know, I don't even know what that means, brethren. Do you? Do you know what it means to turn to him with your whole heart? None of us have done it yet. We haven't experienced it yet. And not having experienced it, we cannot quantify it. We can't describe it. We can't define it. Now, he is going to put pressure on the church, the whole church, and on us until we turn with our whole heart. And he's going to know it. I pound away here, and you more or less listen. You try. You work at it somewhat. And so do I. But we haven't turned with our whole heart yet. If we had, things would begin to be different. Now we hoped for a wonderful first month this last year. We might hope for God pouring out His Spirit tomorrow. Now I could be wrong, but I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think the time has come yet. If you look at the book of Joel, it says that the blessings will come in the first month and that afterward he will pour out his spirit. And in Acts 2, when he poured it out, the beginning of the New Testament church, it was in part of the power that Joel talks about for the end time. And that was after the first month, which contains Passover. So if the blessings of the first month that are described in the Bible, did not come in power and fullness, I do not expect it to happen tomorrow either. I've been wrong before, and I would love to be wrong about this. I'd love for it to happen. But I don't think that it will, based on at least my limited understanding of the Scriptures. I think we need to keep Pentecost and call on God's Spirit as much as we can, as much as our faith allows. But I think we have a way to go. Now, His mercy could cover, and He could bless us in spite of ourselves. But if I look at me, I can't say I've turned to God with my whole heart. I'm working at it, painfully slowly it seems, and so are you. And we have trouble just giving up things of this world and turning to God in the way that he wants us to. And we justify it in whatever way we want. Somebody yells about movies or computers or music or whatever once in a while, and we might do a little better, and then we just lapse back into the same old things we've done before. And we ignore, hear no evil, see no evil, as Isaiah tells us. And we will observe it and listen to it, and we don't do anything about it. Is that turning to God with our whole heart? I don't think so. doesn't seem to me to be so. You know, it's hard to restrict yourself to only so much of the world. Well, I think I can, I think I can imbibe this much. But then, you know, you're tempted to go further and further and abide a little more. You can't ride the fence. 
you can't ride the fence. You have to get on one side or the other, get committed. If it's questionable and it bothers you a little bit, you think, well, I wonder if I ought to listen to that or watch this, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't. Because if it defiles the conscience in any way, then it's wrong. And if you're watching things that are sinful and it doesn't bother your conscience, then you have a real problem. The conscience needs to be educated by this word. When will we turn with our whole heart, not with half a heart? It's been a quarter century since they began to tear the church apart and burn it down and the synagogues disappear from the land. Quarter of a century. I saw the things that were wrong clear back then. Some of you did too. I see it more clearly now based on these words. Some of you weren't even born when that happened who are listening here as adults today. It's been that long. And yet we are still half-hearted. Well, maybe we're 51% hearted now or 52 or something. I don't know. What will it take? How sick do we have to get? How old do we have to get? How decrepit do we have to get? How broke, how poor do we have to get? How much adversity, how much trouble, how many trials and tests do we have to go through before we begin to respond to Almighty God as creator of heaven and earth and not go along with our own feelings and desires and the things we've liked in America? I don't know. We need to examine our hearts, our feelings, our emotions. Sing a new song. Say among the heathen that the eternal reigns. I would love for us to be a part of showing the heathen that the eternal reigns. Wouldn't that be exciting? When you see the church and the mess it's in today and the ineffectiveness that it has, and so much in us, we desire the world to live God's way and to live in peace and happiness and prosperity and blessing from God, and we see the agony and the misery and the tears and the people blowing their heads with different drugs, blowing their emotions with misuse of sex and uh, everything you can name, ruining their lives with alcohol and tobacco. And you just name it. The world is doing things that are destroying society. And it's a sickening thing to watch, and yet we kind of straddle the fence and imbibe part of it, don't we? How can we, who are that hypocritical, be used to tell the heathen that the eternal reigns. It has to show in our lives, in our attitudes, and in our minds. It isn't just Daryl yelling at us. It's David and God telling us. There is a job ahead to do, and somebody is going to do it. Now, it appears there's no one in the church yet prepared to do so. 
And if we do not prepare ourselves and turn in the way that we should, and especially us who have been given more understanding, I believe, than any other group on the face of this earth, not because I'm smart, because I'm not. Because God in His mercy has called a weak people and revealed certain things because He needs a base to start from. But if we don't begin to get it right here, how can He increase that base? He's got to start somewhere, and all He had was vomit to start with. And we were some of those pieces of vomit. Now, are we going to get it straightened out, or are we just going to keep rolling along? Compromising, allowing ourselves to act and think so much like the world. I'm very deeply concerned about our single people, our young people who would like to be married and have children. You're in the end of the age. Things have changed. You're pulled by the bright lights and the things of the entertainment and various things of this world. And it's a very, very difficult thing. And my hat absolutely goes off to you who are trying and working at it and even holding back in natural desires and ways that God made us to wish for to be fathers, to be mothers, to have families. It's hard. I know it's hard. And I appreciate that you're working at it and trying, in spite of all those things that are jerking and pulling on you that older people may have even forgotten about. I know it's not easy. But I want you every one of you, to be a part of what God is going to do. Now, those people out there in this world are going their way to try to find happiness. But where do their lives wind up? They start smoking, and then they ruin their lungs, and they die of cancer at a young age. They start drinking too much, and they drive cars, and they smash themselves and others and kill themselves. They follow the lusts of the body and the mind instead of looking at real attributes, and it's hard to find quality people for them to marry, and they wind up cheating on each other. They wind up divorced. They wind up marrying two, three, four, five times, shacking up because marriage doesn't work anyway. Their lives get all messed up, and they get all kinds of diseases and hurts, and their lives wind up not being much fun either. You have a chance to make a difference. You have a chance to be a light to them. You have a chance to do it right. You have a chance to be leaders in a world that is soon coming that is going to be kept and ordered after the way of God, and to bring peace and happiness and good marriages, happy families to the whole earth. Now, what a calling that is. Some of you little kids may not be 
converted and baptized before that happens, but you've been exposed to God's way, and you could be the leaders in the world tomorrow, physical human beings raising your own families in the way of God and set an example for the whole rest of the world. It's an exciting thing to think about instead of being all involved in this world that is about to die and is quickly dying around us. There is something better ahead. I would love to be a part of the time when we can say to the heathen, the eternal reigns, the world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. The earth is being moved today in a wrong direction. It's being moved toward pollution and destruction. Our country is being, as we speak, assaulted and destroyed by a horrible oil leak in the Gulf of Mexico. We're in the process, as we are here today, of giving up the land that God gave us as the promised land. They have told us now that there are parts of Arizona you cannot go to as a citizen of Arizona because they've given it to the Mexicans. They've said it's too dangerous for us to go there, so we can't go there, but the Mexicans can. Now, if we couldn't draw a line in the sand on where our border is and stop it there, how are we going to draw a line in the sand 10 miles, 20 miles further up and make that work? How long is it before you say, well, it's getting too dangerous, another 20 miles up, cut that off and give it to them too? It's coming apart around us. It's being destroyed. Our sovereignty has been breached. When they gave that land over and said, we cannot go there anymore, it made our nation smaller. It's the first true, complete break in the sovereignty of this nation. Our borders are being moved. It's over. Once you start, you can't stop it. Once you give up the line that's been there all along and start moving it, it's only a matter of time, and it keeps moving, and it meets in the middle, and it's all gone. That's where we're headed. God is going to reestablish an earth that will not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. Today they're being destroyed by beetles. Before the eternal, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. God is not going to give up on it, brethren. He created this earth to be inhabited. That's what he said. I created it to be inhabited. Now, Satan and mankind are working in a concerted effort to destroy life from off this planet. Satan does not want the earth to be inhabited. He wants it destroyed. And he is working in the minds of men to cause that to happen. God will not let it happen. He said, I created it, I made it, 
you've polluted it, you've ruined it, you're trying to destroy my plan, it's not going to happen. I am coming back and I'm going to establish an earth that will not be moved. And it will be made in righteousness. He is going to restore it to the Garden of Eden, just like he intended in the very beginning. And nobody can stop it. Satan can't. The U.S. Army can't. Nobody can. God is going to do it. Whose side are we on? Satan in this world or God's? Will we make a line in the sand? This nation was supposed to be a Christian nation. It is utterly unchristian. And now we are giving it away. <coughs> it sickens me. This is the promised land. This is the land God gave Israel. And we're giving it away. I want to be able to stand up and tell them, no more! I'm not ready for that, are you? I'm not qualified. Nobody is. I want to become that. I want you to become that. So that together, we can be used of God to help the effort of showing the world that the eternal reigns. He is the creator who made it all. He is the one who can restore it. We have polluted this earth and so befouled it that there is no fixing it with the work of man. In fact, what are we doing? Day by day, week by week, and month by month, we're making it worse. And the Gulf of Mexico at the moment is a very loud signal that that is the case. We have thousands of square miles of ocean on this earth that is just a big pile of plastic. All pulled together and rotting in the sun as it floats along and being swallowed by fish that kills them. We're polluting the air, the water, the land, everything. We're pouring chemicals on the land. It's running into the rivers and destroying the oceans. And what doesn't run into the ocean, we eat and destroy ourselves with cancer and diabetes. You and I can make a difference if we will look to the Eternal, our Creator, and give up this earth, this life, this culture that is so satanic around us. But we justify imbibing of some of it. <clears throat> Let's go to chapter 100. Uh, here, let's pick it up now, verse... Well, let's, let's look at all of it. Make a joyful noise to the eternal, all you lands. So many psalms open with a sing a new song, make a joyful noise. Uh, sing to God, all you lands. He's the one that created it, brethren. Sing to the one who made the beauty we have around us. Serve the eternal with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. How much of our lives do we send... Do we spend listening to the hymns of God? 
And how much time do we spend listening to the songs of the world? Compare. Think about it. What do you put on in your house, on your car radio? There for a while, some are beginning to play the hymns that are in our hymn book and got away from it, I guess. What's the emphasis? Where is it? I'm not saying don't ever turn on the radio or listen to any music. Be careful what you listen to. But instead of worrying about that all the time, why couldn't we put on some of the things that make glory to God? Wow. You know what? It's limited, isn't it? You go to the world of music out there and you can download millions of songs of varying degrees of goodness and badness. Millions of them. Try to look for something that truly glorifies God in the right way. You got pretty limited. Pretty hard to find. I wish that someone here had the talent of David to write more songs or to put some of these to music that have already been written. Dwight Armstrong did, I think, a pretty fair job. And a lot of those are beautiful melodies and certainly the words are wonderful. Make a joyful noise to the eternal, all you lads. It isn't sometimes that, a, that music is necessarily evil, sometimes it is, but is it a song to God? That's where we need to be looking more to Him. Not, you know, some songs might be okay, they might not have anything bad in them, but they don't glorify God. I, you know, some love songs are okay between husband and wife and so on. But, and maybe there's room for some of that. But there's an awful lot of room for praising God in song. Serve the eternal with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. So we're encouraged to do that a lot. All I'm saying is how much do we do? How much could we do? How much better could it be? And how much more would it turn us to God if we listen to psalms and songs to God other than other stuff that we listen to? Now, peace. If you turn on a radio or I come by your house and hear music or you come by mine and hear music, uh, we're not here to judge each other. We're not here to criticize each other. We're here to listen to God's Word, and we are to inculcate it into our lives as much as we can. So it's not for us to say this or that. We need to be careful what we allow in our homes and into our minds. And you have to listen sometimes and make those judgments. And it is not for others necessarily to make those judgments, it has to be, in that sense, between you and God, doesn't it? To one degree or another. Now, if something's just outright sin, you're going to hear about it from me, for sure. But you still have to make some choices. We need to help our children with those choices. If we're not supposed to straddle the fence, are we supposed to allow our children to straddle the fence? 
Do you know what they go to on those computers? Do you know what kind of music they listen to on those iPods? Do you do anything about it? Or do you take the course that many in the church took back before God blew us apart and say, well, we can't take it all away from them or they'll just rebel? No, if you let them partake of it, it will take them away. They won't have to rebel. That's a wrong approach. We need to get Satan and this world out of our lives, and we need to lead our children in the right paths, not just go along with them walking in wrong paths and us not doing anything about it. That is not right. And we need to find some backbone sometimes and stand up for God. Now, if teaching your children in his ways and pulling the world away from them and they rebel anyway, at least you did the right thing. But if you let them imbibe of the world, it's going to pull them away anyway. You might have a chance if you do it right. But if you let them go along with this world, it will get them eventually. Guaranteed. You don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Let's gird up our loins like men and women and lead our children in the right way. Not just tell them you shouldn't ought to do that, but let's lead them in the right way. Let's take the time and energy to help them with the things they need to do. To sing to God and make a joyful noise to Him. Serve the Eternal with gladness. Verse 3, know you that the eternal, he is God. It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We didn't make him, he made us. He's the one we look to. Are you glad to be alive? I am most of the time. I like to live. I like to be alive. I like to feel and see and think and react. I like to be. Don't you? Well, we didn't make ourselves. He made us. So we need to look to the one who made us able to be. Is it more fun to watch TV than to pray? Yeah, most of the time. Are our attitudes right yet? Are we serving him wholeheartedly? or giving him what time's left over after we take care of ourselves. What does it mean, turn to him with your whole heart? I'm sorry, I can't tell you. I hope I can someday. I hope I can accomplish it. I hope you can too. And we can tell each other about it and understand what it really, really means. I don't think there's anybody on this earth that can really define it for you totally. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Now here was a man who was beset with all kinds of enemies, all kinds of trials, all kinds of troubles, who had committed all kinds of sins. And he began to realize the futility of his life and the frustrations that go with the world around him and himself. And he said, here is the answer. 
for the eternal is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. We don't have time to judge and criticize each other, do we? Every one of us is so far from being like Christ, we don't have any room to talk. So why do we set ourselves up as the judge? That's one of God's things that we need to honor him in, as he is the judge. We aren't. But we judge each other, don't we? We criticize each other. Maybe it's to lift ourselves up so that we can feel a little better about ourselves, if we can feel worse about somebody else. I don't know. That comes into it. There are a lot of factors that are involved. Let's go to chapter 104. I want to... I want us to see where our attitude should be, not necessarily emphasize where it isn't, but see where it should be. Psalm 104, Bless the Eternal, O my soul. O Eternal, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. So in his words, he's giving honor to God in heaven. Who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretched out the earth, heavens like a curtain. You know how you can pull a curtain to or bring it back? And God created it and just stretched it out there and made it, like you close a curtain or open one. Who lays the beams of his chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks upon the wings of the wind, who makes his angel spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever, you cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hasted away. Do you think David thought about God and thought about the things that God had made? How could you write so eloquently, so inspiringly, if you didn't spend time thinking and meditating on these things? When he was out herding the sheep as a boy, he laid and looked at the stars above. He learned about the constellations. He understood the goings of the heavens. And he thought about it and meditated on it. And then he could write things like this. You know, you don't learn to talk and write this way unless you think about it. Unless it's in there, it can't come out. What do we feed into our minds, brethren? What do we spend our time with? Is it things that are going to make us be able to say and write things like this to the world? Think about it from that standpoint. What comes in goes out. What goes in? Can this come out? It went into David's mind. It went into his senses. We have temptations in many ways that he did not fight. There wasn't all the raucous, wrong, sinful music around. There was no TV. There was no iPod. There was no computer. There were no novels. There was nothing of this stuff that we have around us to distract us. You could go out and look at the stars at night. You could sit and look at the mountains. You had time to do that because your time was not taken with all these electronic gadgets that we have surrounded ourselves with and worship. That which you spend time with is what you worship. 
So the degree that we involve ourselves in all these things around us and ignore the God who created us, we are creating gods. Just as much as a leering, fat-bellied Buddha that we would look down upon some Orientals for worshiping, we worship the electronic gadgets because that's where we spend our time and our energy and our mentality. And they become gods. And we let our children start worshiping from the time they're big enough to look at a screen. And we say we are the children of God. I don't think we've turned with our whole heart. What will it take? What will it take? Make a stand. Verse 8, they go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys to the place which you have founded for them. You have set a bound that they may not pass over, that they not turn not again to cover the earth, speaking of the oceans. He sends the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. You know, God does these things. We look forward to these blessings. Some of these same things David is writing about are promised to us in Isaiah, if we will turn with our whole heart to God. It will come. There will be a Garden of Eden on this earth before Christ returns that will be used as an example to the world of what can be. That's what we're reading about here. David says, you can make this happen, God. He causes, verse 14, the grass to grow for the cattle, and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. He created the earth. He created the plants. We stick the seed in the ground. We water it, and it grows, and we can eat the good stuff that comes. Wow, what a system. Worship God in heaven who made that. <clears throat> he wants us to grow things. He wants us to garden. He wants us to produce things out of his earth so that we can make a connection to God. You don't make a connection to God when you go to a store and buy stuff that's prepackaged. You lose something there. Now, you might say, God made cows and Walmart wrapped it for me. You might think that. But it is a much closer connection, and you have a better understanding when you see the earth that God made, and you stick the seed in there, and it grows. And you plant the grass, and it grows. And cows eat it, and you eat cows. There is a connection made with the earth and with God that you're not going to get another way. That's why he wants us tied to the earth, why he wants each man to have his own vine and fig tree, because in those things that happen, in the system that God made, we come to see God better. But, you know, if there is a problem when we don't have time to sit and watch the grass grow or the garden grow. Let's weed it quick before our program comes on. Let's water it quick so we can run to town. Let's focus on these things, and since God says do that, okay, I'll go do it. But as soon as I'm done, I've got to run back to the things I really want to do. There's an attitude adjustment that has to come somehow. 
Now, God has not given us that Garden of Eden so that it comes the way we're reading about here yet, but He can, and He will. And if we get the transition made, it will happen. He wants us to see, verse 15, the wine that makes glad the heart of man. Where does wine come from? It comes out of the state liquor store. No, it comes out of the grapes. You raise the vine, you make the grape. And then you process the grape and make wine that makes your heart glad. And there's a connection there between the creator and the feel-good buzz you get from the wine. Not the drunkenness, because that leads to other things. But the feel-good buzz, there's nothing wrong with. And oil to make his face to shine. And bread which strengthens man's heart. Gives him energy and strength from the grain, the bread that he eats. The trees of the eternal are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon, which he planted, where the birds make their nests. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. David thought about these things in the creation. He watched them. He observed them. He enjoyed them because they showed him God. Our society takes that from us. If we are able to capture a weekend, to go up into the mountains and enjoy the creation God has made, it's occasional. Because we're so busy with these things that the world has given us to take our time and attention. It's sad. We have to fight it. Not knuckle under and give in to it. Fight it. Get past it. Get away from it. Now, we may not be in the mountains here. We've got mountains around us that are beautiful. But you can go out at night and look at the stars and joy and think of God and the beauty that's in those heavens, can't you? How often do we? We have other things that take our time, attention, and energy. David looked at these things. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows is going down. You make darkness, it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey in the dark and seek their meat from God. The sun arises, they gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. They fill their tummies in the night when hunting, and now they lay down and enjoy lounging. Man goes forth to his work and to his labor till the evening. O Eternal, how manifest are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping, innumerable, both small and great beasts. Leviathan, he goes on and on. <clears throat> Verse 31. The glory of the Eternal shall endure forever. The Eternal shall rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. He has power and control over all of it. He can do anything with it he wishes. We need to stand in awe of the Creator who made the wonderful, beautiful things we have around us. We need to enjoy them more, look to them more. I was going to finish in Psalms today. Wow, there is so much here. You can get wrapped up in talking about it, and then time goes by so fast. One eleven. Praise the Eternal, I will praise the Eternal with my whole heart in the assembly of the righteous, upright, and in the congregation. We as a congregation need to look to the things that God has made and talk to each other about it. That's what he's saying. 
The works of the eternal are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. Seek out the things of the creation of God. See his creation. Give him honor that he has done it. His works, his work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. You know, we get bored sometimes by the things of God. The things that are exciting are on a television or a computer screen, aren't they? What's exciting about sitting and watching the stars in comparison to a thriller movie of some kind? With all kinds of sin in it, in the theater or on the TV screen. People go to movies sometimes, it just it's unbelievable the stuff that we will watch and think we're being entertained. It's sin. It's sick. Why do we go there? Would we have been better off out watching the stars? You see, we have been so bombarded with these images that the world has produced for us that we get bored by comparison. That's sad that we have become so disillusioned and so titillated and our nerves and our minds uh, sparked by these things to the point we can't really appreciate or don't go out and appreciate the things that God made the way we ought to, <clears throat> the way that David is talking about. Can't we see what this world has done to us? How it has stimulated us in false ways to the point that it's hard for us to truly appreciate and enjoy the things of God in the way that he intended in our lives. Now, I'm not saying we don't appreciate the creation. We go out and we enjoy it. So many people in this country... They'll get in their fancy motor home and go out into the woods and put up their satellite antenna and watch TV. Why, Father, stay home. If you're going to sit in the camper and watch TV. I saw a guy recently, he pulled up beside a nice place out there. He put his satellite dish right out in the middle of the driveway. And he was sitting back drinking beer and watching TV. Man, the values are all turned upside down. Why was he there? Where was I here? 111. His works are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. We have to seek out the beautiful things of God. Glorious. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered, verse 4. Why does it talk about the creation so much throughout the Bible? Because this creation he made, he made to be remembered. What is your memory? It is a thought process, is what your memory is. You look at and you remember the things that God has made. You can't always see them at all times, but you can remember them. Remember the things you have seen. Focus on what God has done. The eternal is gracious and full of compassion. He's given food to them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He won't forget it. Chapter 115. 
verses 15 and 16. You are blessed of the eternal which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the eternals. But the, the earth has he given to the children of men. He made the heavens and the earth. He gave us the earth to enjoy. And he said, look to it and you will see me. So we look to other things and we forget God. We need to put the other things aside more often and look at the earth God has created and see Him. That's how we begin to turn our hearts. Instead of away from Him, turn to what He's done. And we will be better off. Chapter 121, verse 2. I'm not going to take time here. I want to flip through a few more of these very quickly. 121, verse 2. My help comes from the Eternal which made heaven and earth. If you need help, you're frustrated, you turn to the one who made heavens and earth. Turn to the Creator. Chapter 124. <clears throat> if it had not been the Eternal who was on our side, how may Israel say? If it had not been the Eternal who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. We've got God on our side. The waters had overwhelmed us. The proud waters had gone over our soul and so on. Verse 6, Blessed be the Eternal who has not given us a prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. God has brought us out of this world, brethren. We need to be so thankful to our Creator who has started leading us out. And we need to turn loose of it and come on out. We are escaped. Our help is, the is in the name of the Eternal who made heaven and earth. If you want help with life, with problems, turn to God who made the heavens and the earth. Look to those things that He has done. Chapter 134, verse 3. The Eternal that made heaven and earth bless you out of Zion. The Creator is in the church. The Creator is in the original Zion and the original Garden of Eden around the original Jerusalem. That is where He is coming. That is where He is going to gather His remnant that will set an example to the rest of the world about the true God of creation. Where on this creation is God going to show up? It is going to surprise the world, I'll guarantee you. Chapter 136. Verse 5, verse 7. I'm hurrying through some of this because I have somewhere else to go tomorrow. 136, verse 5. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. Verse 7. To him that made great lights, the sun and the moon, the stars, for his mercy endures forever. He was, is a merciful God, and he made all these things and this beauty around us for us. And yet we spend our time looking at other things way too much. Chapter 139, verse 14. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. And that my soul knows right well. We want to see God. Look at the bodies we have. How fearfully and wonderfully we are made. We're incredible. You know, here we sit, we stand, our minds work, our blood works, our hearts work, our liver works, our blood vessels work. It's incredible to be alive, isn't it? When you see something dead, nothing works. Just dead, gone. 
Where did life come from? Where did our bodies come from? How do they reproduce? What an incredible thing it is that a man and a woman can create a baby and have it be born as a human being. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't have time to go into all that. We could speak on that for a long, long time. Chapter 146. Praise the eternal. Praise the eternal, O my soul. This goes all the way through the Psalms, doesn't it? Verse 5. Happy is he that has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the eternal, which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that therein is, which keeps truth forever. The earth is a memorial of God, the Creator, who made the earth and the heavens and us and put us here. Creation is one of the most powerful witnesses that God is God. This couldn't have just happened. What a ludicrous thing to think that it could have. Chapter 48, or 148, I mean, Praise ye the Eternal, praise ye the Eternal from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise him all his, you Him, all His angels and His hosts. And then he starts talking about the creation that He's put and established forever and ever. Verse 6, He has made a decree which shall not pass. And talks about the mountains and the hills and the cedars and the beasts and the young men and the old men and the children and the maidens. And everyone praise the name of the Eternal because He made the heavens and the earth. When God says, where is my honor? He wants us to look at the things he has done and give him true glory and praise and honor for what he has done. Chapter 149. Praise you the eternal. Sing to the eternal a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. We are to joy in God. This is speaking to the church directly. To joy in God who made us. To honor the God of creation. Don't worship the creation. Worship the one who made this incredible earth we have around us. That is much, much of the message of the Psalms. 